0: Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. We have a very special guest. About 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, when I was pastoring in Ojai, California, we were looking for a youth pastor. And so I had a list of candidates, and the first one was from Bakersfield First Assembly. So we interviewed this candidate, loved him and his wife, and just thought, this is great. But I had a whole other list of candidates to go through. And I went through that list of candidates. And I came back to this candidate from this church. And he had already been hired somewhere else. I was so disappointed because we just thought they are fantastic people. But they ended up at San Diego First Assembly doing a great job of ministry there. And they've done ministry in other places. And most recently... They were the pastors in Tehachapi, the assembly of God in Tehachapi, grew that church into one of the largest churches in all of Tehachapi, did a fantastic ministry job there. And God has led him to a new ministry that he's going to share about. But these are hometown folk. Can we give a warm welcome to Kevin Cottle? Kevin, would you come? Listen.
1: That's the first time I've ever been introduced to do anything. My my family's back there right now, probably thinking, "Isn't it just dad?" Like, why were they introduce me? Uh, anyway, good morning, first assembly. I am happy to be with you. I am excited. Uh, I did bring a couple of my family members. My wife Misty is back here. You can wave if you want to. Yeah, and and then that is my son Paxton. He's 15. Um, we call him Big Tex. He's the one kid I had that thought he was a cowboy, and so he we call him. Big text. So uh, uh, your pastor was, was correct. I, I was on staff here as started as junior high pastor and as youth pastor in the late 1990s. And uh, so evidently, um, being back here this morning, evidently a lifetime ban doesn't mean a lifetime ban. <laughs> it just means until many people forget who you were, and then we'll invite you back to come speak. So anyway, I'm excited about that. Um, uh, there's probably, the board's probably in the back right now going, how did we let this happen? How did he slip through? What, what happened? we got to put a stop to this. Um, your, your pastor has, um, has been a dear friend to me. He, he tells that wonderful story of our interview process. Let me just tell you right now, it, that's not my perspective on how it went down. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the, the inside scoop. He was pastoring in Ojai and I believe, yeah. And so if you've been to Ojai at all, you know that even in the 1990s, um, you know, nobody wore a suit in Ojai. Why would you do that? Um, so I had this interview, drove out to Ojai, my wife and I, and, uh, we, uh, pull up and we are, uh, so I'm just going to, yeah, you're about to find out why I had a lifetime ban. Um, we pull up dressed like first assembly people dress. I was in my suit, my tie. My wife was in her, her, I'm sure dress from the 1990s, pastor's wife dress with, with <laughs> big giant hair and you know, the whole thing. We walk in, and here's James and his wife, Jolene, and they're in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> and I looked at her, and I just was like, we should just spare this man his money and just go home. Like, he shouldn't have to buy us lunch. This is not happening. Anyway, when I finally we reconnected uh, several years later, we had that story. And he was like, I went back to hire you. You were already gone. I was like, oh, sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> So he is a wonderful man. He has become a dear, a dear friend to me. Um, he has, uh, when we are in Tatchby, we, uh, we do a marriage retreat every year, and he has come, um, a couple of marriage events now, and spoken to our people, and just did a phenomenal job. I, I love him. We share confidences together and encourage each other, and so I am very thankful to be here to share with you uh, today. I'm going to try to make it snappy. Um, Uh, James mentioned to you that I uh, pastored in Tehachapi. I have kind of a unique ministry story. I'll just make this two minutes or less, and that is um, I I was saved in in the church in Tehachapi that I pastored in. So I was saved in that church in in 1987. My wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, uh, led me to Christ, and uh, so I gave my heart to Christ. I was in the youth group there, and then I felt a call to ministry, went to Bible College uh, out in Springfield at uh, Central Bible College, and then got hired back there at that same church as a youth pastor five years later. So I youth pastored there. Then I came here. And then about uh, 16 years later, I was hired back as the lead pastor there at the same church. So I was saved, youth pastored, and lead pastored in the same church. And uh, so now in kind of an interesting twist, we left that church. We resigned about a year ago to, uh, to start with Pathway, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. And, um, and so now my wife... Um, is starting again tomorrow on staff at that same church. It's still essentially our home church. We love those people. And and Nathan's uh, brother is now the pastor of the church. So um, it's just weird how the world works. It's just weird. Nathan used to play drums and when I do worship when I was a youth pastor here. I'm sorry for anything I said during those days. Those were rough, rough days. Uh, so as, as Jesus followers... You and I um, are given, we've been given a clear directive to, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, and comfort those who mourn. And uh, I, as I mentioned to you, I left um, pastoring last year after 30 years of pastoring. And I, I uh, signed up with or I joined on with a ministry that I've known for many, many years called Pathway Family Services uh, to help. We are a faith-based uh, foster care and adoption agency. And we, uh, our goal is, our heart is, to partner together with the local church to bring together amazing, caring families like yours and stand in the gap and provide love and hope and healing to children in our community. So please take one minute and watch this video. I think we have it. Is it there? Yeah. Just, it's literally a one-minute video, so check it out.
2: Hi, I'm Nikki with Pathway Family Services. The numbers are staggering. In California, more than 60,000 children are in the foster care system. What does that mean? It means thousands of children across our state lay their head down at night without a family. Psalm 68 5-6 tells us that God is a father to the fatherless and He sets the lonely in families. Pathway Family Services is a faith-based adoption and foster family agency that is committed to fulfilling the purpose of Psalm 68. Our founder, Rick Smith, is an ordained minister, and he created Pathways to provide godly families for abused and neglected children. We believe you, the Christian community, is the solution to the foster care crisis. We believe in the power of biblical compassion. God has created us with intrinsic value, and the Bible is clear about our responsibility for caring for those who may have forgotten about their God-given value.
1: Right on. So Jesus said to us in Matthew 25, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. David wrote in Psalm 68, he said, God is a father to the fatherless. In one of my favorite passages ever, he said, And he sets the lonely in families. Proverbs 31 tells us to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. And so as you heard, Nikki's there, who looks way better than me, talking. So, Pathway is a faith-based foster care and adoption agency. We're thankful to be in partnership with city serve ministries, if you're familiar with that, to fulfill the biblical mandate of serving the American orphan. And so together we as a church can stand in the gap, provide hope, provide hope, provide healing to children in our community. And our ultimate hope, our ultimate hope, is to see children reunited with their biological families, if their biological families are healthy. That's our hope. And if not, to be adopted by a forever family. So here's a few ways you can help. And then we're going to jump into God's word. A few ways you can help. Because I, I, I happen to believe, I mentioned you, I pastored for 30 years. I still love the local church, As a matter of fact, with our kids. We have four boys, by the way. Uh, four. Uh, we only have one left at home, just big text. But um, the, other, the other three are, are grown. They're out of the house. Um, but our, one of our goals in ministry, um, because this is going to sound weird to say this, but it's almost easier to have your kids come out of your house knowing the Lord than it is to come out of your house loving the church. I'm going to say that again, especially as a pastor's kids. It's almost easier to have your kids coming out of your house loving the Lord than it is having your kids come out of your house loving the church. And so we decided early on in our parenting and pastoring that we were going to create a church culture that our kids would come out and leave our home loving the church, knowing that the church family was a safe place where they were loved. People cared for them, and even if they didn't go every week, they, they could find a place of hope and healing there. And so, um, that that is uh, our hope. We have we have a belief in the local church. I believe in the local church. I believe it is the hope of the world. I I believe that every one of our problems in our nation could be solved if the local church was motivated. I believe. I absolutely believe that. I, I, you don't want to get me started because I only have an hour and a half up here this morning. So. Um, <laughs> I believe, as the church, we abdicated responsibility to the government for things that were that belonged to the church. Now we did it, we did it, and it was generations before us because we trusted the government but anyway i don 't need to get on that, but, um, but we, we the local church is the answer the local church is the answer, and the, the local church is the answer to the problem of the American orphan as well and we 're going to jump into that in just a minute. But, um, but here's some ways you can help. These are just simple, simple ways that you can help. I, I believe there's a few families here who the Lord has already been speaking to you about fostering or adopting. He's just been kind of working on you, and you're like, but I don't even know where to go. Well, now you do. You're welcome. I'm here. So uh, I, I would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, you can meet me, my friend Josh. Is, is Josh in here right now? Josh is in the back right there, you can, my friend Josh there. Uh, we'll be out at the booth, uh, along with Misty and, and Big Tex, we'll be out at the booth. You, we'd love to answer any questions you have about fostering. We're not twist your arm kind of like you sign up, you're going to get, next thing you know, you've got a kid living in your house, that's not what we're talking about. We would just love to have a conversation with you, and I know God is speaking to some of you right now, you just didn't know where to go, what that would look like, and so we would love to have you uh, check in with us at the booth. You can also, there's a QR code, I think, that'll be up here in a second, maybe. Yes? You can scan that QR code if you, uh, if you know how to do that, if you're of the generation that loves QR codes. And then you can fill out some information, and we'll get back to you um, information about that. The second thing you could do, and this is the easiest, if you have a cell phone with you right now, you can like us on Facebook and Instagram. You could follow us on there, uh, Pathway Family Services. Uh, that is a wonderful thing. We put up stuff on social media all the time. You can share that. It's just a way, uh, a way for us to get uh, the word out that to people that may not know that an organization like us exists so that's something you could do for us. All right, uh, the last thing you can do is just is just absolutely the most important, and that is pray. Pray for us. I, I mean, I know that you know, and I already joked about the government. And I'm not a political guy at all, but you can imagine what it, what it looks like to work in in foster care with counties and government agencies and be a faith based organization. So you can you can pray for a Pathway. Please pray for us and our social workers and the people that do God's work out there with, uh, with that. So let's, uh, let's jump into God's word today. Um, we are going to be uh, looking at, um, if you have a paper copy of the scriptures, we're going to be in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, uh, you can turn there. If you don't, you can follow along on the screen, they'll be up there as well. And so today I'm going to talk to you about one, one simple word, one easy word, and that word is enough, enough. Enough is an interesting word. I mean, we, that's a common word we use. It's an interesting word. Most of us would say that for most things in our life, we don't have it. Enough, that is. We don't have enough. And so let's, uh, we're going to do a little show of hands, a little audience participation. I don't know if you're comfortable with that, but even if you're moderately uncomfortable with it, we're going to do it. All right, so here we go. How many of you would say, uh, just in your life, you would say, I don't have enough time? Yeah, yeah. How many would say, um, I don't have enough time? Money. Yeah, John, uh, they asked John D. Rockefeller one time about how much money was enough money. And famously he replied, just a little more. <laughs> right? That's, that's how much is enough if I just had a little bit more. Okay. So how many of you would say you have enough patience? How many of you would say you have a problem with lying? No, I'm just saying because you didn't raise your hand for patience. <laughs> Um, if you're a leader in this church, how many would say you have enough volunteers? Yeah, no hands. No hands. Okay. How many would say you pray enough? Enough. Yeah, no, no hands. All right. For most of us, it's actually not that we don't have enough of things and stuff. We have plenty of stuff. I mean, we're in a nation of plenty. It's just that we want more. And so today, we're going to look at a miracle of Jesus that everybody is familiar with. There's not a single person in this room this morning that is not familiar with this miracle. Um, If this is your first time sitting here, your friend roped you into this, he's like, I promise you I'll buy you lunch. if You'll just come sit with me through this. Um, You've never been in a church before. You've heard this story. You're familiar with this miracle. And uh, we're going to talk about this today. Um, You know this. This story, we see a situation where there's indeed not enough. But by human standards, there's not enough, and there's a problem that cannot be solved by human means. It cannot be solved. So this is the story of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, this miracle is the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. So I'm not a theologian, but that at least tells me this. There's probably something in here that I should know because it's in all four of the Gospels. It's the only one that's in all four. So it's a pivotal story. It's a pivotal, pivotal truth that we're supposed to learn as Jesus' disciples. The truth is uh, we could build a six-week sermon series on this. I, I was telling my wife as I sat down to write this thing, I'm like, I have so much material, I could do a series on this. So I'm going to pass it on to James. And James, you can finish the five-week series. Okay. Um, so we're going to focus on this one word. This one word is enough. So let me set the scene for you, what Jesus, what's going on with Jesus right now. Let me set the scene for you with what's going on with Jesus. Sorry, Governor Newsom, if you heard me say that stuff about the government, it was—I was, was just—I was just joking. Um, we love working with the counties and all the stuff. That, yeah. Should have known better than wear this thing up here. Okay, so let me set the scene: Jesus and his disciples. Have been going from town to town. They've been uh, teaching, and Jesus has been performing miracles. You're kind of familiar with the story. Based on what we know from the timelines from the other gospels, there is about six, about a six month gap between John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. And so we pick up the story in John chapter 6. Um, we learn that large crowds have begun to follow Jesus wherever he travels. It's hard for him to get a moment of peace he, as, he, as he walks about and uh, does miracles. And this is because they were attracted to the miracles, it tells us, and the healings were taking place by the hundreds or even by the thousands. Um, What we know is later in his gospel, John says that if he he was to write down everything that Jesus did, the world could not contain all of the books that would be written. So we read about a certain amount of miracles, but we just assume that there were thousands and thousands and thousands of miracles that had taken place. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus climbed up on a hill, took a seat with the disciples sitting all around him, and that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 5 as we walk through this together, and um, here we go. It says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, here's an interesting thing. Philip's probably thinking, Why are you asking me? Um, but here's the deal. Philip happened to be, live, he grew up around that area. So Jesus was, asking him, and we'll find out later there was some other motives, but he was asking Philip because Philip knew the restaurants. He's like, Philip, you're from around here. Uh, What restaurant will seat 5,000 people in the first century? Philip's like, why are you looking at me? Like, 5,000 people. I mean, let's just think about this from this perspective. If all of us went and crowded into one restaurant when we left here, it's not happening, right? It's not happening. So Philip obviously is like, well, it's, There's nothing. There's there's nowhere to feed all these people right now. So then we find out that Jesus is up to something here, as he usually is. John uh, chapter six verse six and continues on. He says he was testing Philip, for he already know he he already knew what he was going to do. Now let me. I just need to call a time. Boop boop boop. Scripture timeout. I have some questions here. Probably you do too. I, if I'm being honest, and, and what do I have to lose? If you don't invite me back, you didn't invite me back the first time. So <laughs> if I'm being honest, this is a, a side of Jesus that I'm less than comfortable with. I'm less than comfortable with this side of Jesus. I, I just am. And here's why. I mean, it's, we're at 2023, people, right? Yeah, 2023. Uh, as a culture, I'm going to tell you this. We're not okay with this. Because Jesus doesn't test us, we test him. He's the one that has to measure up, not me. What do you mean he's testing Philip? We, we test Jesus, he doesn't test us. Now listen, I'm gonna give you about four seconds to evaluate your motives before I jump on here. Um, there's a good chance that you see yourself as the evaluator when it comes to Jesus. You see yourself as the evaluator, as the tester. Is he trustworthy? Can I depend on him? Is he going to do what I need him to do? Better yet, is he going to do what I want him to do when I want him to do it? Will he make my life better? Will he make me richer? Will he make my kids behave better? Will he make me win the lottery, or help me win the lottery at least? Give me the numbers, come on, something. Whatever it is, he's the one being evaluated. He's the one that's being tested. I I have some desires, I have some needs, I have some wants, and I've come to church, and I'm here because I'm giving this a six-month shot to see if you deliver, to see if you pass the test. Now, listen, I know it feels wrong to hear somebody talk like that, to say that out loud, but it's in there. Check your heart. It's in there. It's a part of our culture. You grew up in this culture if you did. Some of you did not grow up in this culture. But if you grew up in this culture, it's in there. We evaluate him to see if he measures up. Now, the truth is, you might be here just doing just that, testing to see if Jesus measures up. Now, let me, let me assure you, if, you if, you're, if you're in that mode, just for my life, my testimony, and probably hundreds of other people in this room, let me just tell you right now, you can stop evaluating because he's been faithful, he continues to be faithful, and he will always be faithful. Faithful. So Jesus is testing Philip. Yeah, he's testing the other disciples in the process. They're not getting off the hook. So just so we're clear, this is not a test to let Jesus know where the disciples were at in their faith walk. He He knew. This, this, was not a, this is not like when you take a test in school so your teacher can evaluate how much you've learned and where you're at in the process. That's not what this is. Jesus knows where the disciples are at. Um, he is, he, this is not a test like that. This, is, this test is, in this case, is to expose a weakness in the disciples' faith, to show a blind spot, to show a, a place where there's not trust, where there's not a clear knowledge of who their rabbi is. And so he walks them through this test. So that's the question we're left asking, which is then, what is the test? What is the test? Jesus wants to know how Philip and the other disciples would solve this impossible problem. Impossible problem. He wants to know how they would respond. There, There is a problem with no human solution. Jesus is asking them, based on what you've experienced with me so far, based on what you know about me, based on what you've seen, based on what you've heard, based on the knowledge that you've gotten from my teachings, based on all of that, how can we fix this problem? This problem that is outside any human solution. How can it be solved? First off, um, what if all of the difficult situations in our life are just, are just Jesus testing how we'll respond? You, you, you didn't think I came here to be nice, did you? Again, I got nothing to lose. What, what, if, what if every situation in your life is just Jesus testing how you're going to respond to it? Now listen, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Now listen, I'm not saying he caused it. I'm not saying he's caused every situation in your life. Some of the situations in your life are caused by your own stupidity. But, uh, but, but he is 100% looking for how we'll respond to every situation in our life, every circumstance. How are we going to respond to this? Based on what we know about him, based on what we know about his teachings, based on what we know about what he cares about, based on what we know about all the disciples we're learning and all that stuff, what do we respond to? Because we're 100% responsible for our responses, no matter what the circumstances. We don't control what people say to us. We don't control what people think about us. We don't control how people treat us, but we are definitely responsible for our responses. So these kind of tests, by the way, are not uncommon for Jesus either. They're not uncommon. These, these, these tests that he gives with unsolvable solutions. He's given a bunch to us. As Christians, I don't want to talk about the church. He's given a bunch to the church, but us as individual Christians and then us as a church. He's given a bunch of these unsolvable problems to us. CityServe, which I mentioned earlier, is a local ministry that serves the world. And they they came up with 10 um, unsolvable problems that we've been tasked to meet. This is what they are. They are the exploited, the hungry, the prisoner, the poor, Israel, the addicted, the unreached, the widow, the vulnerable, and lastly the orphan. Those are 10 things, 10 unsolvable problems that God has given to us and said, listen, this is what I need you, Christian, to do. I need you to solve these. I need you to fix these. I need you to give effort toward these. I need you to work hard toward these. This is what I care about. Do this. And we're like, yeah, after lunch. Just kidding. That was, all right. Misty, go warm up the car. I'll meet you at the party line. Okay. We've been given a whole list of these. Now, here's what all these problems have in common. There's not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough money, there's not enough help. There's not enough workers, there's not enough time. There's not enough want to to solve them. There's not These are unsolvable problems that have been handed to us, Christians, individuals, but also the church. Fix these. So for the sake of time, I'm going to focus on one, and I guess, I guess you know which one I'm going to focus on. I'm going to focus on one, but I, I'm just know that I'm speaking for all ten when I speak for the one. I want to show you a number. This number that you're going to see, 421,283. That number. This is the number of children in foster care in the United States of America at any given time. That is a big number, isn't it? That's enough children to fill the Rose Bowl. You're going to see a picture of the Rose Bowl, I think. four. Times. You could fill the Rose bowl four times with the number of kids in foster care currently as we speak. Now listen, that number feels like Philip trying to feed five thousand people in the first century, doesn't it? In a one restaurant. That that's, that number is that doesn't it doesn't mean anything to us. 425. It just it's just kind of an ooh number. So let's let's bring that number down a bit. Let's go with 52,265. This is the number of foster children in California at any given time. That's enough to fill Bulldog Stadium, if you're a David or Derek Carr fan like I am, you can fill Bulldog Stadium, which you're about to see a picture of, right there. That's enough to fill that stadium right there. It just foster kids in California. But still, I mean, we don't have enough resources. There's not enough us, right? We're talking about First Assembly of God right now today. There's not enough of us to do anything with that number. What are we supposed to do? 52,000. How are we supposed to do anything? Like that? still too much to deal with, right? So let's, let's bring it down a little bit further. The number is 2,033. This is the number of children in foster care in Kern County at any given time. That's enough to fill this sanctuary to the gills with kids twice. Twice. So you say, come on, Kevin, for real. That's too many for us to handle. Just the people that are in this room, what are we supposed to do with that number? 2,033. It's, fill this place twice, what are we supposed to do with that? I know, It's overwhelming. Now you know what Philip felt like. Jesus, what am I supposed to do with this? How how am I supposed to track this or even. This is what the disciples were thinking in this moment. Now, if you know anything about the disciples, you know that they got this absolutely, totally, and terribly wrong. But in the disciples' defense, because they're just like us, it wasn't for lack of trying. You know, they came came with solutions. You know, people like this, they, they come with a problem and they come with a solution. The disciples came with some solutions. In Mark's telling of the story, it says that the disciples' first solution was just to ignore it altogether. Send them home. Jesus, tell them to get out of here. Scat, scat, you rats, get, go home. Go home where you came from. That's, just ignore it altogether. Send the crowd away. Now listen, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Unless people are staying at your house too long. Come on, get up, get, get up, go. It sounds terrible, but but... but we do this too. We're, we're guilty of this. We're, we've come with this response. I, I showed you how overwhelming the problem is with just one of the ten things that we've been charged to do. And that's just foster care. So often, we just decide to ignore it. Just going to ignore it. Send them away. Send them home. It's the government's job. That's why I pay taxes. Do something with that. That's what social services does. Get, just get it off my plate. Get it out of here. Just ignore it. That's what we do. Second, Philip comes with one. He says, let's throw some money at it. Let's, let's throw some. It says, verse 7 says, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Philip's response is, Jesus, it's impossible. We cannot do this. I, I've kind of tallied up all the money we have amongst the disciples, and I've decided even if we all go barista at Starbucks for months, we don't have enough to feed these people one time. There's, there's no way this is going to be possible. This is impossible possible for us to solve. And he's right. Money is not a viable solution in this case either. You can't solve it. Next up with a possible solution, Andrew. Got to love Andrew. This is what Andrew says. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, there's this young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? I love Andrew, just already hates his idea before he delivers it. (laughs) He's like, I've got this solution, this boy, but it's a terrible solution. But I felt like I had to have one. Right? A solution. Andrew's idea is to gather all the resources they have on hand and just see if they could feed everybody with what they come up with through human works, through human effort. He even points out, this is a dumb idea. I don't even know why I brought it up. There's no possible way to even begin to scratch the surface of the problem that he's facing, that they're facing in that situation. And then that's it. They're all done. That's the solutions. That's it. We're all done. Nothing else. There isn't enough of anything to solve the problem, even if we add all of our solutions together. So I guess the obvious response is we do nothing, right? That's the obvious response. There's nothing we can do, so we just do nothing. We do this all the time as churches, as individuals. It's a fatal flaw of how we operate as humans. It's a fatal flaw. It puts us in a position where we either do the little things that we don't want to do or we do the big things that we're scared to do. I know I have a friend who has more money than she knows what to do with. And, um, but two or three days a week, she goes down to one of the thrift stores, and she just works, digs through all the donated stuff, gets it set up, and helps down there. That's the little stuff we don't want to do. Sometimes I wonder, like, why does she do that? She's got more money. She could pay somebody to go down there and do that. It's a little stuff we don't want to do. And then there's the big stuff we're scared to do. So we seal off the Holy Spirit. If we can't give $1,000, we don't give $100. If we can't see 100 conversions, we don't even work for the one. If we can't build all the buildings we need, we don't build any of the buildings we need. It's a fatal trap. It's a fatal trap we, we fall to it. The disciples fell to it here. In foster care, we do this by saying this. Well, if I'm not able to or not been called to foster parent, so I guess I can't do anything. So as Christians, as the church, that's what mostly we've done in this area of the orphan. Nothing. I'm here to tell you that in the area of foster care, in the, in the, in the cause of the orphan, that couldn't be further from the truth. That it's either 100 or nothing. That it's either I, I bring somebody else's kid into my home or I don't help at all. Could not be further from the truth. Because here's a graphic about what it takes to make a healthy foster family. There it is. So these are all, so you see the foster family in the middle. They have their children they've brought into their home. And this is the surrounding people that it takes to make them successful. Now, there's, there's a good chance that there, there, there's somebody in here already that has foster children in their home. I'm not going to make you raise your hand because it's very personal. But there's probably a good chance somebody does. And as a church family, we should be surrounding them with all of these things because they've done the big thing that scares us. Surely we can do the little thing we don't want to do. We just have to be unlike the disciples and decide to do it. Let's see how Jesus Jesus, Jesus, Jesus chooses to solve this impossible problem of feeding 5,000 people. This is what Jesus did. Says, verse 10 says, tell everybody to sit down. Jesus said, so, they, uh, Jesus said, so they, they all sat down on the grassy slopes. That's an important to know they were grassy. I don't know. Uh, the men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. Now, I know this passage says that there was 5,000 people, um, just, just the men. So a lot of scholars would say, That there's like fifteen thousand people, or like maybe ten thousand and like eleven thousand, if some with kids and everything. Um, I have a theory, and I think it's based on some solid evidence. I think there was five thousand men and one little boy. Here's how I know. There's no way that you can convince me that if five thousand women went out to an all-day event, not one of them packed a lunch. (laughs) Not one single woman packed a lunch. Last week I, I came down here. We live in me. I came down here to watch a double, my son plays baseball. Play, watch a doubleheader down in Bakersfield. My wife didn't come. She sent me with a bag so big I had three different sunblocks in it. Three different sunblocks. I had snacks for us. I had lunch for us. I had snacks for other attenders of the game. There's no way there was any women there. <clears throat> That, by the way, is what you call terrible theology. <laughs> That's why I haven't been back in 24 years. <laughs> now, notice, 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 back, back to, back to the stuff here. Notice that Jesus' solution isn't totally contradictory to the disciple's solution. Matter of fact, he takes Andrew's solution. And he's like, oh, I think I can do something with this, Andrew. He takes Andrew's solution, and he kind of does something different with it. Because it's grounded in a totally different assumption than the disciples. The disciples came at it by saying uh, they were completely focused on human power, human effort. What can we as humans do to solve this problem? Jesus says, human effort's not the thing. But I am going to take what you have, and I am going to do something with that. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a rejection of their solutions. He takes their solutions with a different assumption. So I'm here to tell you that I can't even figure out what to do with my own life with just human effort or thought or wisdom much less something to the scale of homelessness, addiction, or the orphan. How are we supposed to do that in our own wisdom, in our own, thought, in our own human effort? Jesus' solution is this. If you'll just bring what you have, if you'll just bring what you have, use what human resources we have, put all of that in his care and use, and, in his care and use, and watch what he does with it. Then it says this, our word's coming back. It says, when they had had enough, to eat When they had enough, there's our word. Notice when we invite Jesus into the process, there's enough. All the disciples' solutions, not enough. Not even near enough. When we invite Jesus into the process, there's enough. Everyone was fed. Everybody had enough. Not enough just to get by. Nope. Not enough just to, to squeak by, just to squeak through. A sufficient amount. Some, some translations said they ate until they were full. They, were, they ate like it was an all-you-could-eat buffet, because it was. They were getting their money's worth out of that buffet. They ate until they were full. Then he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, filled, the 12, ba- filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So not only that, but Jesus does more than enough. Each disciple, 12, gathered a full basket of leftovers for later. So, let me leave you with a question. Are, are we bringing what we have? Are we bringing what we have? Are, we, are you bringing what you have? If you haven't, then you're stuck in the same place the disciples were. There's, there's not enough. There's not any, enough of anything I need. Some time ago, uh, Misty and I, we were uh, youth pastors, and we had three boys at home at the time. And so if you know anything about youth pastors, um, what you do know is that um, you, y'all don't pay them enough. I don't know your youth pastor, and I don't know what he or she gets paid. Um, but but I'm guessing they don't live next door to you. So, uh, did you think I was going to be nice? I told you I wasn't going to be nice. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for youth pastors here. Okay, so um, so... We were, had three kids, and we, we wanted to bring everything that we had to the game. We wanted to give Jesus everything we had, but we knew we didn't have much to give as far as what the earth, what the world would say we had to give. But we did what we did have was we had a family culture that we thought was great. We had a family culture where we loved each other, and I'm not saying we're perfect, and my son will tell you we're not perfect parents, although we are best friends. No. He tells me that I'm, he's my best friend, but I'm not his best friend. We, we, had, we wanted to share that, and so we invited some foster children into our home. And I'm not going to tell you that it was phenomenal and fantastic and that it all was great and they loved us. It was very difficult, very difficult. But it was what Jesus called us to do. We brought what we had to the game. It was worth it. Now, listen, I understand that no single person and that no church family can do everything. We get that. We're, we're not dumb. But every church should do something. Every person should do something. So I don't know if you remember that number, 2033. So this is a number of foster kids in Kern County. Are we going to solve this problem today? No. We're not going to solve this problem today. Not a chance. Not even close. But you'll see that number down there, the red one. That's what I call the ones column. I'm telling you, just by the number of people I see in this room right now, I'm, t- I'm telling you right now we can make an impact on the ones column. We, we could do something with the three. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's at least three people in here, I would say, that if the Lord was speaking to you, they'd say, I, I want you to step forward in this. But maybe it's not the orphan. That's, that's my thing, right? That's what I'm passionate about. Maybe it's the homeless. Maybe it's the addicted. Maybe it's the other the of uh, the ten that were up there. You saw all those. Maybe it's one of those. But it's like, hey, I'm challenging you to do something to to make an impact in the ones column. Do something with the ones column. And then I promise you, I can almost promise you because I know your pastor and I know this church and I know the history here and I know the future that God has for you. I almost promise you, if three of you took a challenge to say, I'll do this, this church family would surround you with the other things that you need to be successful, to be healthy as a foster family. What can we do about the ones column? What can we do? About the ones calling. Maybe it's to foster. Maybe it's support. Maybe it's just to pray. Just to pray for those families. All are essential in the process. Lastly, and then I'm going to pray. I realize there are some of you here today that are new to this Jesus thing. You're new to this church thing. Maybe you just got invited. Maybe you came at Easter and you're like, I'll give it one more try. I'll give it one more shot. You showed up today because you were searching for something more. Is what I like to say. Nobody shows up to church the first time after winning the lottery. You probably showed up here today because things weren't going well in your life. They, you were looking for some other answer, some other way to, to do life than you'd been doing previously. And I want you to know Jesus is enough. His sacrifice on the cross is enough. It's enough to pay the penalty for your past sins, it's enough to pay the penalty for your future sins, or there'll be future sins. It's enough. And the the forgiveness that you experience when you give your life to Christ will change everything. And I know because it happened for me. And those of us in here that know, know because it happened for us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. I I thank you that you test us. I know I I feel weird saying that, God, but I, I, I want to be, I want to pass the test that you've given me. I want want to measure up. I want my response to be, God, I'm bringing what I have. I'm bringing what I have. I don't know what you're going to do with it. Maybe you'll do a little, maybe you'll do a lot. I don't know, but I'm going to bring what I have to the table. Use it. Take it like a loaf of bread and some fish and do something with this. Help us, help me to make an impact in the ones column. Father, I pray for this church family. I pray that as they move forward into a preferred future, what you have for them, God, that they would remember again what it is you've called the church to. The passion, the the 10 things that you've called us to make a difference. You've said, listen, I want you to bring everything you have and we're gonna do this together because the church, Jesus' church, his people are the hope of the world. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. Thanks for putting up with me.
0: What a fantastic message. I was spoken to in my own heart. You know, God is testing us. So we will know what's in our heart. He knows what's in our heart. But we need to know what's there. And, and I just felt so strongly that we all have something to bring like that boy with the five loaves and two fish. And if we will just bring what we have to God, he will multiply it. And So if if there's any area of your life where you feel there's not enough, it may be financial, it may be relational, it may be a, a physical healing, you just, you don't have enough, there's not enough medical science, then bring what you have to Jesus and see what he can do. Would you stand with me today? And invite you as the Lord speaking to you to come down to the altar today. If the Lord ministered to you and you want to seal that with the Lord, come and find a place to pray. We also have elders and board members available to pray for you if anyone is sick or has a need. Also encourage you to visit the table in the foyer to find out more information or just how to pray. And also just ask that we keep our conversations to a minimum here in the sanctuary as people are worshiping and being ministered to. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. If you're a visitor here today, we invite you to join us in the Blue Chapel. Or if you have come a few times but you haven't yet received your gift, we got a gift for you. Please meet us in the Blue Chapel. There's some folks there, some snacks as well. Lord bless you. Take care. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.